Well, since it is uh, New Year's Day, may as well call it New Year's Day talk. Uh, and several months ago, I uh, received a uh, letter from a, a U- publisher in the U.S. and the editor. Editors, uh, in fact, had uh, rather a lovely uh, idea and that was to write to various people uh, around the world for some kind of short response to the millennium which will uh, begin a year from uh, today. So they uh, sent out rather a large number of letters to various people uh, around the world and one of them uh, came to myself here at uh, at Gaia House and they sent some uh, samples of what some various uh, people had written and as it turned out um, more than uh, 1200 contributions uh, were made so they said in a uh, reply recently that they um, chose and selected whatever, about 250 pieces. So I, along obviously with 1,200 odd others, um, contributed a, a piece. And the, the thread, if I may say, or the theme of uh, my uh, piece was along the lines of where is this millennium? that we keep hearing about. And so here we are living in this uh, world and it will be a blessing if throughout this year we won't be hearing anything else much less than about the approaching millennium, the new millennium. What do we think about the millennium? And it's enough to make anybody become a Buddhist monk or nun. So, the repetition of this uh, uh, through the year, and sometimes what we forget in all of this, really is actually, where is it? And it certainly doesn't obviously exist on the earth, and it doesn't exist in the sky, or in the trees, or in the body, or whatever. It is simply two words hanging together in the mind called the millennium, new millennium. And various other minds, north, south, east and west, keep coming together, and it's only a percentage, of course, of the world's population anyway, and keep reinforcing and giving it substance, giving it significance, giving it meaning. There's no relevance anywhere except in the mind and what you and I make of it. And so in all the machinations of it, uh, all of the extensions of it uh, that takes place, sometimes it's rather necessary for us in all of this to step back and to look and say, well, what is our mind, collective mind, individual mind, what is our mind doing with two words and generating such an outcome uh, 
uh, from it. And so, as I say, the hype and the momentum will take place uh, throughout uh, the next uh, year and the possibility and probability is that a growing number of people will be heartily sick of uh, hearing about it. If we can do that with one or two words and invest and attach a great deal of uh, significance uh, to it, of course, same mind, of course, can do it about anything, as we tend to do. We do it with numbers. We do it with um, uh, age. And every time a birthday uh, approaches, especially if the birthday happens to have a zero beside it, usually the wrong side of the number, then the mind begins to invest and and build up uh, that as well. And so we become 20, 30, 40, 50 or whatever. And then the building up that takes place about it, sometimes um, knowingly, sometimes rather blindly, it becomes a kind of turning point in our life, a, a major life crisis or a midlife crisis or whatever. Yet, stripping it all away, it's, too, it's a number. And to the number has been stuck and affixed all sorts of attributes uh, around it. We do it with money. Another popular number by virtue of its increase or decrease or staying perennially the same. And again, the relationship of the inner life, peace, clarity, harmony, well, well-being, begins to hang on something around numbers. And so then uh, sometimes we go, as I did uh, yesterday, go and um, make the pilgrimage to the accountant and uh, see what the news is for uh, the end of uh, January. And he's, and he says to me, Christopher, he knows the word dana, it's the one thing he's learned through being my accountant. <laughs> and he says, well, Christopher, when the dana comes at the uh, end of the uh, retreats, this is what you declare. But people send you dana outside of retreats, they put it in the uh, post to you or whatever, and that could be regarded as a donation and tax-free, but they just stick it in an envelope with a card or something, but never say it's a donation. And then if you, if you have to write back to them and tell them, look, it's a donation, then you, Inland Revenue can rest in bed. So, situations arise, we call money situations, age situations, new millennium situations, or whatever. And our observation and our looking and our knowing ourselves is in areas of life which apparently matter to us seem to be important to us. What is the relationship to? And what we often forget in looking at life, we think it's the issue that matters, called, oh, I am 40 years of age, or I am uh, got to do this for the new millennium, or I uh, hope I'll earn this amount of money, or whatever it is uh, this year. And we forget it's the relationship to, it really matters, the relationship to, upon which depends much 
of our happiness, our contentment and peace of mind. So there's some movement that goes on. It's almost a kind of concern through the thing rather than how we relate to whatever. And as we heard today in the inquiry uh, uh, period, sometimes we're having difficulty in our contact and communication uh, with others. The original perception may be accurate. Relatively, the original perception may be this person is difficult. This person is a problem in my life. I wish this person had never been born. Man may have some perception along those uh, uh, lines. Hopefully not too much, but they arise. But nevertheless, from the original perception, what do we do? What do we do with it? And there, somewhere in all of that shows our, whatever, our heartfulness, our wisdom, our clarity, our understanding, or sometimes our abject lack of it. In looking inwardly, and I'll take it to a more subtle level in a moment or two, in looking more inwardly, those of you who have uh, relatively new uh, exposure to uh, Dharma uh, uh, teachings and practices, sometimes one, one hears on the, uh, the thread of things this concern, and it's an important concern, with the area of desire of uh, wanting. And it's important we distinguish as well and as clearly as we can in, inside of ourselves. So in other words, there are sometimes our life is going by, there's an intention which takes place. The intention to meditate, the intention to be still, the intention to be mindful, to be aware, the intention to serve, to give, to participate, whatever it might be. And the movement of the intention it's something common whether we're uh, Buddhas or not. But how very easily that intention kind of gets infected. It gets distorted. It gets corrupted. And we say that which corrupts is called ego. It's called I and my. It's called dependency on results. It's called what I want no matter what the cost. And so the teachings have stated very uh, clearly and frequently to us in our relationship to life, please, please be vigilant about what is desire. What is this force of the wanting mind? Either in the blaming, negative, aversion state, or the wanting, I must have, I need, uh, etc. And can we have enough clarity in ourselves, in our inner movement, to know what is wise or right or skillful intention and when it's got these extra layers on it which in Dharma language is called desire, is called wanting and the very indicator and proof that desire and wanting is corrupting intention is suffering. That's how we know. When we are suffering over we know we are caught up in desire. If we're not suffering over, but responding to with wise and clear in, uh, intention, it's not called in Dharma language, not called desire. It's called intention. It's called interest. 
it's called movement towards, it's called action, it's called expression. But when it's corrupted, it generates suffering. And therefore it's corruption, we call it desire, wanting mind, wanting, wanting. And all the harassment and pressure and unsatisfactoriness that can arise in our life. Sometimes the wanting is obviously it's in relationship to past events. And the thought may arise, I really want what happened to be different. Too late. One has got to live with the with the facts of, of things. Or sometimes I really want even the noble uh, aspirations, hope towards, hope for a, 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 a blessed year, a wonderful year, uh, etc. But when that is built up, so instead of just being an intention, it's actually built up for ourselves. And we set that up as a model of how I want my year to be. It tends to have a lowering impact on the quality of what we do. I really want this relationship to be worked out well. I really want this journey to, to work out. I really want this job, this study, this etc. And if you and I build whatever we into a wanting and we build it up and up, there's less probability of the actuality meeting the expectation. And then we feel hurt, we feel disappointed, we feel a failure. And we imagine once again that I'm a failure because of it, or this, or that, or him, or her. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's in the comparison to what you and I, in our idealism, in our projections, and in our fantasies, have built up. And the building up, the utopias the mind creates, will never meet the reality down on earth. Because life just doesn't do it. Therefore, we say, please, please, in our life, let's be very, very vigilant about the building up that takes place. Sometimes, you and I, we need, do need to stop and we need to be still and we say, okay, what was, what was I building up on over the last few weeks or few months? What was the wanting that was going on with me now that the fruit of which today is I feel disappointed, I feel incredibly hurt, I feel a failure? Could those most difficult of human experiences had some relationship to the amount of wanting that I was doing previously. Sometimes I think, whew, my wanting built this up and it made a gap with what is and the effect of which now I, I feel devastated. I feel humiliated, I feel demeaned, I feel a failure, I feel it didn't work out. One related to the other. extraordinary thing to watch our inner life and to watch these movements taking place uh, uh, in, in, our, in our life. 
tomorrow, as I've done for the past uh, 20 years, um, I um, start making my um, pilgrimage to Mother India. And uh, once a year, I go to uh, Budgaya. And uh, it's rather I- ironic in, in uh, Budgaya. This is the place in uh, Bihar, India. It's the, by far the uh, poorest state of uh, India. And some of you in the hall have uh, be, uh, been there. And this is the place of the Buddha's enlightenment two and a half thousand years ago. And it's also the area, the district of Gaya is uh, renowned in the subcontinent of India as probably being one of the most unenlightened places on earth where aggression and uh, fear and violence and murder is unfortunately all too uh, common in that uh, area. Don't worry those of you going next few days for the first time. Lots of good forces of kindness and protection around as, as well. And so sometimes in, situ- in situations and number of people, uh, particularly in terms of uh, wanting, do, as we do, find ourselves in situations which really provide an extraordinary opportunity in our life to really look at our wanting. And some people go to India for that opportunity because there can be so many expectations, like things working, <laughs> trains running and buses going and post offices they do in Budgaya when they get too much mail from the West. It's been found. They just they dump it behind the post office because it's too much to have to deliver. It's very understandable, really. And so all of this kind of goes on uh, uh, there, and with it one sees the, the, the potency of the wanting that, that uh, can take place. And unless we learn to be with its own movement, of course it creates tremendous agitation. And for the past week or so, one or two friends in India, as well as elsewhere, have been informing me that the, uh, the smog and the fog which has descended on uh, Delhi through, uh, throughout uh, the night has meant uh, long delays in the planes coming in. So one already has a taste of India before even arriving because you don't know when you're going to arrive. And the effect of it is that some people have the great pleasure of sitting at Heathrow Airport or, or uh, Amsterdam Airport or whatever for 10 or 12 uh, uh, hours wondering when the flight would take off so the plane can then land in a fog-free city in, in India, etc. And so, if the wanting mind is there, it's going to be hell. Because the wanting and the reality are in a huge conflict and gap with each other. The fact is, there is fog. The fact is, planes can't land. The fact is, they, they're arriving in uh, Karachi or some other godforsaken part of the world and waiting to arrive in India. And just use it as a small and obvious example in life where uh, uh, all the wanting in the world is a a statement of blindness. It's a a statement of clinging and holding. It's a statement of what? Of being out of touch. And it doesn't make a scrap of difference 
how negative and angry and upset and disappointed and how much we harass every poor devil working for United Airlines, Air India, British Airways and the rest, other six circumstances are working. So looking into ourselves and our relationship to life, the teachings the Buddha has said ad nauseum, please, please, of all the psychological, emotional factors in life, which go on, of all of them, please attend to wanting. Many things that you and I can look at, if we just look at the force of wanting, the force of desire, the second major truth of life that causes problems for human experience, is wanting. And just as I was listening today with the, the inquiry with Amy, with regard to blame and control, and thought passed through my mind as it probably passed through, what clear example do we have recently than the poor people of Iraq? Blame, control. Control bomb, control devastate, control cause suffering towards. So now look, looking at the inner, the inner moving to the outer, the psychological world of thingness, millennium, age, a country, or whatever, and what we make of it. What do we do with it? And in the thingness that we give to that, where is the wanting that's going with it? The desiring that's going with it? And can you and I, as a duty to ourselves and humanity, transform that unsatisfactory feature of desire and wanting so that we lead, as the text says, remind us, lead a desireless life. And that doesn't mean that we end up as some kind of vegetable or, or, or something, though for some it wouldn't be a bad idea. But that in leading a desire less life, it means that the actions of life come from clarity, come from clear intention, come from a wise expression of, towards existence, which others might call love, others might call compassion, or commitment, or right action, or, or whatever. But it's not, it hasn't got that in language definition, that desire means that ego of I and my corrupting it. And it's an extraordinary challenge to look well in, into ourselves and to be honest with ourselves to see what's going on from within and how does that then manifest outwardly. Sometimes, and one of two of you, some of you have uh, reported this in uh, various ways uh, over, the, over the days, we stop and we take a general overview of the rhythm and flow of our life and as far as we can sense and as far as we can uh, experience in general ways we feel our life is going along for a number of you reasonably well. One looks at oneself and says well in, in the fullness and the scheme of things I really don't have anything to complain about in looking into one's life and one's participation in it, there is an enormous amount for us to be grateful for, to have deep appreciation of, and that we have more blessings, in fact, than we can 
count. And so sometimes we find in our outer circumstances there is much which is taking place which is genuinely supportive. And there's also, along with all of that, plenty of thoughts, again as has been reported, uh, thoughts about things that one would like to do or is in the process of doing. So we look at the overflow, the overflow, could be the overflow, but I didn't mean to say that, the flow of our life, and in the flow of our life it seems to be flowing along, not everybody, reasonably well. No great hiccups and no great crisis, nor uh, stress at the present time. And in that, of course, there's a natural wish for its own continuity feel in harmony with ourselves and with others is a sweet and lovely thing of life. But then we're asked, told, invited, however we might say it, to stop. To stop. So in the outer expression of the flow of our life there's appreciation for it, our relationships, our work, our studies, our daily interests or whatever and we're asked to stop. And in the, the stopping it has a twofold feature to it. One is, as some of you have been reporting, it gives us the opportunity to see that even if our life is flowing along well, is anything going unattended to? I can be going along quite sweetly. We can be in quite a good rhythm and current. But then we stop and we are in the silence and stillness and then things which were perhaps unattended to get attended to. They stand out in our consciousness. We are made, as it were, to look at. And there may be, for a number of you in your time here, areas of your life which you, you know need attending to. Even though the general flow of things, in the generality, it's going well. But sometimes, and this is important, one specific, unattended area of one's life which one is neglecting begins to undermine the general flow of appreciation. Never to underestimate what one unsatisfactory thing can do to the totality of your life. And some of you will know well from your experience, what I'm referring to. So we have the general appreciation, if it's present, the recognition and acknowledgement of those areas in life which do need attending to, generally have some force of clinging or holding or wanting going on uh, in it, somewhere, some identification with something unresolved. We look to that so that can integrate to the flow. Even so, having said that, still we say, what is it to be even more subtle than that? So sometimes rather pleasantly and sometimes rather surprisingly for some of you, come into a meditation situation, a retreat situation, and one is quite able and quite easily uh, enabling oneself to let the various roles of one's life fade away. The role as a whatever it might be, as a worker, as a student, as a parent, as a traveller, or whatever it is. And the role 
the various roles are not arising in the meditation. The sense of self, the normal sense of who I am and what I do and where I was and what I've been doing, what I am and will be doing, is not rising very much in the meditation. And as I say, sometimes one's surprised, virtually gobsmacked by this. I'm so familiar with meditating and working with roles and letting go of identities and dropping of thoughts and, and, uh, and giving lots of time to settle in, uh, etc. And some, for some it comes, has come quickly <coughs> and easily. And we say, there's an extremely important significance to the absence of being identified with. And you and I, whatever the role we do in life, oh, we have immense appreciation and thankfulness when the role, whatever it might be, we can lay it down. We can drop it, we can put it aside. Life is a nightmare for people who are in their role morning, noon and night. So there is a natural wish to know life without the role. And so sometimes when the role just fade away in the meditation, the language of the experience begins to change. Not so much roles and identities and the conventional self and the conventional picture of who I am, but another kind of feeling and experience begins to arise, as has been reported, and sometimes the form drop away significantly, or sometimes it is that factor and element of spaciousness. Spaciousness. So in number of the one-to-ones, inquiries, uh, groups, etc., the element of spaciousness begins to stand out for us a little bit more clearly. And you say, what is this element of spaciousness which we appreciate? We appreciate it certainly when we're in communication with others and we appreciate it in our own experience. What is it to really feel a sense of spaciousness? What, what is it? Why do we appreciate this? Why are we glad to be around circumstances which genuinely feel spacious? Whether it's walking along uh, the beach in plenty of space for the eyes and the ears or in the mountains or with uh, human beings or environments or what. what is it that we appreciate about spaciousness so much? And sometimes in the meditations we think, oh, I should go back to the breath or back to the body or whatever it um, might be. But perhaps there's something very subtle and significant about it. Well, as one person was uh, 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 reporting uh, uh, today, that there can be in the day and in the meditation the, the strong sense of form. I am sitting here, I am observing the breath, and I can see the forms of my states of mind which are arising. Just doing my practice, center the body, center the breath, and center the form of experiences which come, accompany it. And sometimes, even all that form just drops and fades away. So it's not only the roles and identity with our roles that fade away, but sometimes, even with this, and several people have referred to this, and 
therefore there's a spaciousness which seems and does accommodate this in its tangible presence and sometimes in its absence. Sometimes the whole sense of the body as a thingness begins to dissolve itself in the consciousness. And we say, my goodness, there is a kind of element of this spaciousness, a factor of it, which I can be present which can be present with the body and the element of spaciousness even when the body sense drops out, drops away. Maybe, as one person said, maybe the difference between life and death is not as great as we imagine. Maybe, just as we invest a great deal in called new millennium, we call being 40, we call money, we call, we call a country, a nation state, maybe we are doing the same with that which is called D-E-A-T-H, which is called death. We've taken this out of the feature of life and attached and invested and put a great deal into it and then we are fixed with it. We are fixed with it in such a way that there seems to be a huge contrast, a a, a black and white contrast of extreme proportions called being alive and being dead. None of us know whether we'll see the new millennium. So, is it that perhaps the the so-called fact called death as the fact? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the relationship to that. And therefore, sometimes in the experience of spaciousness, which is going deep in the being, it's being and has the capacity as a feature to accommodate that which is called present, bodily life, and that which is called absence of. And maybe the difference, as I say, is not as great as it would appear to be. And then the fear starts fading out of death. Fading out of endings. Fading out of finishing. And therefore the unfolding process is allowed generously. So the experiences of presence of in the meditation, clear and present with breath, clear and present with mind, clear and present with uh, body, matter a great deal, but equally, sometimes when that drops away, that element of spaciousness is there, and perhaps in that spaciousness there's much to be realised and discovered. And it would be rather a pity for us, for anyone, to go through life uh, thinking and believing that there is forms of body, forms of states of mind, forms of language, forms of this thing and that thing, or whatever, 
and then death and it all gets cut off in a kind of brutally savage way. Maybe we can look at it extraordinarily differently. Extraordinarily differently. And therefore our meditations and our practices and our silences and stillnesses are genuinely in our deepest interest. May all beings enlighten their lives. May all beings realize the unfolding nature of things. May all beings live a liberated and insightful life. So let's have uh, two or three minutes shared silence together, shall we, please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.